Did you put those up? Are you? Did you bring all those for like? Just, just kids depending on where the conversation is. This is literally like a, like you went shopping in your own library and got yeah. a paper bag and filled it up with books. Yeah. Can we just put them up here? Sure. I want to. I want to know what's in there. All right. Because last time we were talking about this, everybody was like, "Wait a second, why y'all gonna stop when we start talking about the books?" Like, you know, I'm an addict. Oh my goodness, you read all these? Yeah. So this isn't like, oh, I got some cool books and no, I just put them on the table because... These are cool. ones that have affected the way I think about things. Cosmic Liturgy? Cosmic Liturgy, that one's amazing. You're going to say that about all of these, though. Yeah. Michael Finch? The biography of G.K. Chesterton. Can you spell Finch with two Fs? Is it for Finch? I think it's just Finch, yeah. Finch. I don't know. Finch. Is that everything that was in the... Yeah. So, well, this one... What is that big dog? That's the Riverside Shakespeare. So it's Shakespeare, but it's a lot of stuff about the world and the worldview of Shakespeare and his times. I've seen some of the, Oh, that's his time. So I saw... So there's a Riverside Chaucer that's really good, too. I didn't bring that one. What, is, um, what does Shakespeare have to do with metaphysics? The biggest thing is he still lived imaginatively in a time that was pre, pre-modern metaphysics. And so his expectation of the world was this world fits together. This world is integrated. So when Hamlet feels like he's out of the world, like he doesn't fit to be or not to be, that is the question, then he, there's something wrong. That's not Mm. normal. Mm. That's the problem that needs to be fixed. We're the other way around. We have stories of heroes that start off feeling like they fit in the world and then by the end they don't fit because now they've realized the truth is that probably the reason why we probably won't have another Shakespeare until we get this problem fixed uh yeah I mean the closest thing we have to Shakespeare is Hamilton which Hamilton the new the new the musical the musical yeah oh my goodness people are gonna kill you for saying that no it's, it's brilliant so the um, thing is it's what's his name Alex the guy who wrote Hamilton Lin-Manuel Miranda so that's who you're giving that's the new Shakespeare Miranda? It, Shakespeare did it over and over and over. So we'll wait and see what he does next. But I think Hamilton, it's taking a, a historical story, resetting it into a modern vernacular. Go grab that coffee. Thank you, sweetheart. Resetting it into a modern vernacular. It's taking that, it's doing it um, at, at the highest level, highest poetic level, in the culture mm-hmm, right now, mm-hmm, I, don't, mm-hmm. I don't think there's a, I don't know if there's a better poet than Lin Manuel Miranda. I mean, he had help, obviously he had editors, sure, sure. And, but but that the way that you know, when you get to that final speech, when everything pauses after the gunshot, yeah, and every single line he has set you up for to give it three, sometimes four meanings. Mm-hmm, you have the, mm-hmm. a level of poetry that you rarely see, but he does it in a historical setting, in a way that's trying to help us understand the present. The rest is coffee. Here we go. Help us understand, you know, what's going on in America right now, and yeah, yeah. Um, return us to who we are as a people. Um, yeah, there's some. There's some. I don't even know how many people. I mean, if you didn't see it, then you don't really know what he's doing. But when he I realized what level he was on when he had um, Thomas Jefferson. Well, first of all, he had a lot of black characters playing guys that culturally 
you know, like Shakespeare had men playing women though. So like, <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's acting. Yeah. It's acting, but, but it felt intentional. It felt intentional that he had black guys playing people that probably at that time you wouldn't be allowed to play that white guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Right. You sure. know what I mean? So then when you see, um, Thomas Jefferson coming out and it's a black dude, you right. know, and he comes out dancing. Everybody knows, like, there's a joke there. Yeah, like everybody knows the joke. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. they, but, but, it, but it's a joke at our expense. That in a in a loving way, right? He's sure. Not, he's not. No, no, no. Absolutely not, not condemning. Well, it, he's what he's doing is reminding everybody the history without actually bringing it up. Right. But the character who he has played this person. Let you know, like, yeah, he actually could have been one of his sons. You know, what I mean? <laughs> like, right? You know, and it probably was that's the <laughs> right, case. And he right. got a, and it was funny because right after that, I saw a piece. I can't remember if it was in People magazine or some magazine, historical magazine, had one of um, Thomas Jefferson's uh, lineage take a picture, and you see it. It's a black guy, and you see him. Oh, and he and looks like he Thomas looks Jefferson. like oh, Thomas Jefferson. Amazing. And and they put in a magazine, so he dressed up like him too in the same way. Um, and it was it was like. Yeah. Okay. I get it. So he does stuff like that. That isn't necessarily part of his whole point, but he's, but, but he's, he's also doing it in such a way where he says, yeah, me, we might've been, had we lived back then, we as, as black actors and Asian and actors, actresses, and we, we may have been outside, but that doesn't make it not our story. Yeah. Right. Right. So, you know, um, who lives, who dies, who, who tells, tells your, your story, story right? right? It's and you know, how's the show become a Hamilton special? All of a sudden? <laughs> well, because because we really don't have. He is actually studying the history of theater and its use. You know, nobody's going to look read read Hamilton um, the the biography and say musical, right? Unless they already know. Well, there's a whole section of. Shakespeare that are historical plays, right? mm-hmm. Hamlet, mm-hmm. Julius Caesar, right? these amazing moments that um, in history that are are not really the history of England, but they are, right? Den- you know, Denmark and Rome, and the, that these are because it's the history of mankind. It's part of our inheritance, you know. And Shakespeare did that really, really well. But it was. It's a it's a different way of thinking, but but so when I asked you about like why Shakespeare and what Shakespeare has to do with metaphysics, you said for the most part because he lived in a time and an era when the way we thought about it was the the right way for the most part, right? It it, it was much closer to the right way, much closer. Right? Okay, but and then he's a poet, right? So, so okay, the, the poets are the ones that have always changed the world, right, down to the present. Yep. Uh, yep. The the poets are the ones that actually popularize what the academics to the uh, you know they they popularize the academics to everybody else to the rest of the world right and so Shakespeare he was popularizing the the way that the doctors were talking the way that the metaphysicists were talking the cosmology he's popularizing it all putting it into a poetic form that continues on to the present, you know, mm. um, the, the poets have always, and, and the, the reason, and so Chaucer was the same way in his day, you know, he, he was the, uh, the greatest poet, but he was also just one of the greatest minds, mm. right? He, you know, he, when he wanted to become a better poet, he would go study optics 
you know, and, and say, I need to understand the world better. <clears throat> and so mm-hmm. he'll go to the scientists and, you know, learn optics, learn astronomy, you know, learn, go study with a doctor. What, how does the human body work? What do we know? What's the best science of the day? Mm. Because he's trying to become a better poet. And that older understanding of poetry was to that, that we communicate uh, the way the world actually is and how it ought to be. Right. Mm. Um, yeah. Cause otherwise your poetry, what is it connected to? It has to hang like, um, I can't remember our guy, I can't say his name, but an armature. Right, he talks about an yeah, armature. Yeah, Brian, sto- Brian McDonald. Brian McDonald talks yeah. about an armature when it comes to telling stories, and the reason a lot of stories don't work is because, you know, armature was basically what the skeleton of that creature. Yeah, right? If you're doing claymation, if you're doing claymation, what yeah. you put the clay on. Yeah, to. yeah, exactly. And so you needed an armature to for the clay to hold to something, and if you didn't have that, then your story would basically fall apart because there's no structure to it. it doesn't have an arm, a leg, a head, two legs, you know, fingers toes all that stuff so then your story just is a blob and it's like you got something there yep. but you don't know what it is you got events but you don't yet have, have a story a story yeah. yeah and so something like hamlet you know you have um that there's something rotten in the state of denmark right that that the body politic is sick and then but the the expectation is that the body the body politic should be well right because the body politic the 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 political system of the day, the body politics should fit into a world that is completely and fully integrated and it has a mm. place, right? Mm. It's, it's, a, and, uh, but there's something rotten in the state of Denmark and Hamlet begins to discover it, mm. what it is. But then he discovers along the way, um, he gets to this point where he knows exactly what the, the body politic needs. It, it needs justice, right? It needs justice to step in. He is the rightful heir to the throne, so he is the one who should be bringing the justice. When he gets the opportunity to give to, to have justice, he realizes that what he really wants is revenge, right? Mm-hmm. And so then he says, to be or not to be, that's the question. Do I do the right thing, restore health to the body, or, or do I do the thing that I want and get revenge? Mm-hmm. And so he's kicked out of the integrated world by his own temptations, he ends up choosing revenge and the entire Royal family dies Mm. and the, the body politic is restored because the cancer is removed, but it turns out that the cancer is the Royal family. Mm. Right. So he it's, so the question, it's a tragedy technically, but it's also not a tragedy because the problem is solved. Right. But, Mm. But Shakespeare, because he un, he believed that the world should be integrated, you, um, you can have that sort of uh, multi-layered story. Yeah. I, I don't think you could get Hamilton even made now, just a few years later. Hamilton was written in a time when we were... Right before we hit that curve. Right before we hit that... Yeah, that no, you're right. ...complete disintegration. So, And I think he was trying to hold the world together with the story. With, like, ha- hey, with Hamlet. This yes, is, this is, yes. This is still our story, guys. Yeah, because right now, and we were talking about this a little bit later. We'll get to some of the other stuff. But we were talking about how that, with the 1619 Project, they're trying to retell the whole story. But the problem with the conservatives is that they ain't trying to tell no stories at all. Right, no. So... Because yeah, they'll, they'll meet you... They, they say, yeah, but there weren't that many slaves. Right, right. right. Like percentage-wise, we weren't. 
We weren't as bad, bad as everybody. Brazil, right? Everybody. Like, <laughs> we would never take that from somebody who's trying to witness. This, you know, we're trying to witness somebody like, well, I right. haven't told as many lies as you know Trump. But the sixteen ninety project, I think it's a really good example of the kind of so as Christians, we tend to think that stories are a gimmicky way to communicate a truth. Mm. And the real point is getting the truth across. We say, well, Jesus was the, the greatest communicator because he realized that if you use stories, you can communicate truth in a way that that um, sticks with people and they remember it. And so long as they remember, then, um, then later they can go home and apply it. Mm-hmm. And as if the the parables were a, a decision made because they were effective. Right. Right. The most effective tool. The most effective tool of communication is storytelling, right? That, that it's a gimmick. This is why our movies are so bad, because that's how we treat a movie. Like, it's a gimmick to get a truth across. Mm. When, in fact, people are made of stories, right? That's the... Mm. That's the, metaf- the the most fundamental metaphysical truth you get right from the beginning. In the beginning, God mm-hmm. is there. Mm-hmm. He exists. And then he begins creating, and he creates everything in a six-stanza poem, mm. right? in a six-chapter story. Right? You've got, he, the, and it comes to life, right? And it, it's all made of his words. Mm. But, how, but when we get to people, they're literally made of people poetry made of story. Mm. And so the 1619 project, what it does is it comes along and it says, well, Hey, let me, you've got a bunch of facts that, you know, I'm going to recontextualize them by giving you an earlier date and telling you some things that happen. And it changes the place that all the other facts have in your story. Mm. And it gives you a new story through recontextualizing. And we come along and say, how dare you take our facts away from us, right? No, but I've already got the facts. I don't need, right? And then they win the argument because we're made of stories and they're arguing with our humanity, arguing in, in line with our humanity. Give me, give me an example of that. Like, you know, so like, like you know, um, they're, well, first of all, they're telling, they're retelling a story that most conservatives don't ever want to go back and talk about ever again. Right. right, right. So that's first and foremost, and because they feel like that the world that they're living in right now, um, they are far more Calvinistic in one sense. <laughs> oh, like give me in trouble, <laughs> but because they're believing that this point in time in history actually has an outflow and a working. They're post millennial too, you know, <laughs> right. in one sense, um, all the way out to where we currently are right now, and so they're and, and conservatives don't want to have that conversation anymore. Yeah. So, so they're telling the story. The reason why we're here is because of this point right here. Sixteen nineteen right. <laughs> was the reason. Right. The point they, they want to say this is the defining moment. Everything else should be judged according mm. to this moment. Yeah, I'm gonna put that up on you. Again. Yeah, I just you, you have a better voice than me. <laughs> since you're talking more than I am, we might as well hear it. So they so they come in and they say, let's we want to recontextualize by giving you a uh, here is the integrating point. Uh huh. 1619, slaves show up. That is the integrating point. That's what you judge everything else by. That's what actually will make this story make sense, right? What they're doing is they're saying, here's the context, right? Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. It's the ship at the beginning of Star Wars that just goes and goes and goes forever. And you've got a little teeny tiny ship in the beginning and then a giant ship following behind it. 
when you when you get down onto Tatooine and you see Luke Skywalker um, working on the farm, just a teenage boy working on the farm, everything is now in the context of the fact that there's a giant spaceship chasing a little tiny spaceship up there, right? Mm-hmm. That's the context of everything going on. And mm-hmm. so you know, well, how is this all going to interact with that? Because that's the, con- that's the mm-hmm. context point. That's mm-hmm. the, the contextualizing fact, the contextualizing point, right? And what we do is we say, well, no, that's not really the contextualizing point, right? Really, it's 1776. Right, right. right. <laughs> and they say, yeah, but you know how many of those people had slaves, right? Right. The, that's the context. The, the, we argue over the contextualizing point. Is it 1776, 1619? Part of this, we're just bad at rhetoric, but we're also, we're not conservatives anymore. Mm. The real contextualizing point would be something like the Magna Carta in 1215. When do you actually, where does, where does America begin, right? <laughs> I, I would argue the Magna Carta, right? Mm-hmm. right? That that when the lords go to the king and say, now you're signing the Constitution, you're taking away our rights, and so we need to get them written down and everybody look at them and agree on them. Right? That is, um, that makes the what happened in 1619 an aberration mm. from the, the, the rights of the, the common law system that you, you might even go back further to King Alfred sure, or yeah. something. But, but I think the Magna Carta, he, he, if you take something like that as the, as the actual point, you know, the, the context, then 1619 is a failing, right? Mm-hmm. We have, we're failing at the original yeah. from, from what he, and, and 1776 we're saying, oh wait, no, we're reaffirming the yeah. ideals of the Magna Carta yeah. with some some new things that are good and some new things that are, I think, less than the Magna Carta. But you have this reaffirmation of them, and then those things work work their way out, right? That you, you don't, we can't just deny that sixteen nineteen is a, a point on the timeline yeah. that has major effects. Sure, right? um, but what what is the context of what is act? The reality is that's what the argument is. Mm. What's the context of what? So, so how does that fit into metaphysics? So the the how that fits into metaphysics is you know, when we start saying um, what what am I for and what is my life for? We we often get so wrapped up in the details of the day to day, you know, the um, context the, and we lose the context, right? What is the context of our story? What is the context of my life story? And it's really easy. Um, you know, I know I'll, let's say you have a hard day at work and you come home and you're just frustrated at something that happened. Maybe you're driving home, you get the phone call you don't want. You're frustrated at what happened, and you're here you are and you walk through the front doors and you have, your kids coming towards you, mm-hmm. right? You've got two facts, right? You've got your kids coming towards you. You've got the hard thing that happened at work. And the question of which is the context of which is mm. in that moment, that's the question that you're answering. Mm. You're either snapping at your kids because your kids running up is the context of, of the, 
phone wow. call on the way home or the phone call on the way home is the is in the context of how oh, except for, man look at these kids that's good right, look at right so you're constantly making these decisions about who am i mm-hmm. right? and so and the the who am i question is which fact is in the context of which right right so when paul in ephesians says this is who you are right for three chapters this is who you are before he gets to ethics He's establishing who who are you? What is in the context of what? Mm. Right? You are who are you? Well, you are a son of the Father. Right? Mm. You are adopted into the family of God. And he then, has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. You're you yeah. seated with him right now in heavenly places, right? Yeah. Right. He says those things, th- mm. those are the metaphysical questions, right? And I'm answering them for you. Who are you? This is who you are. You are the younger brother of Jesus. Mm. You are the younger sister of Jesus. That's who you are. And then he says, now, when you go out to live, live in that context, right? Mm. He says, your last name is Christian. Mm -hmm. Jesus' son. No, be God the Father's son. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever Jesus' last name is. You have the same one, right? And now go out and have that family resemblance Mm -hmm. in the Mm -hmm. way you live. Who you are becomes who who you uh, who you are works its way out in how you live. Right? You know, it's funny as you say this. When my kids go to school, we we do catechisms on the way to school, um, and I've kind of adjusted them so that it matches us. Um, but one of the things that I do, one of the catechisms I say before they get out the vehicle, is the last one. Um, I say honor God, and they they repeat back to me, love your neighbor, be a good Shannon. Have lots of fun, right? And it's yeah. funny because I didn't know that I was doing that, but what I'm doing is don't forget in the Shannon part, yeah, who you are, right, <laughs> right, like because then then from there then it determines what you do. Shannons don't do this, right, right, <laughs> right. right. Shannons this, do this, right. Yeah. We have our we have our Farley family rules. Okay, right? so the first one is if Billy Idol is on the radio, you can't get out of the car. Right. I've heard this one. Yeah. yeah. So it's called respect the idol. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll pull up to school and our kids are late and I'll hold the lock button down. I'm like, no, you're a Farley. No. Yeah, that's we're right. Wait, we're waiting <laughs> we're until waiting. Billy Idol's off the radio. <laughs> right. If Footloose is on, you have to dance. Mm. doesn't matter where, doesn't matter when you're a Farley. We dance to Footloose. Uh, and you, you sing. I'm coming in your house playing Footloose one day. <laughs> right? You sing to the top of your lungs to Adele. Like, okay. Like, All right. And the, I mean, the reason we have those is if there's a, there's a lot of reasons, sure. but, but a big part of it is we tend to think family rules and we think, oh yeah, man, it was hard to be a part of this family because of the rules. Right, right. Right. But that's not what it is. That's not what God's rules are like. Right. 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 He says, Hey, let me tell you how to be a really good human being. Yeah. Um, because you're made in my image. I'm going to describe myself to you. Here's the law. Mm. This is what it looks like to love. I God is love. The love the God the law is a summary of love. This is what it looks like to truly live. Right? Mm. And then um, we said, "Nah, I'd rather have death." <laughs> right? <clears throat> the the law is a description of life, of being alive. Right? Um, and so when we're called to be a part of God's family and we tend to we still do ask the question, what am I not allowed to do again? Right. Right. Am I not right. Al- right. 
Well, is that is that a, is that a metaphysical problem too? Like, if you're asking, "What am I not allowed to do?" You're looking at guys a lot of that way. Is that like an issue with metaphysics because you don't know what you're for? Then? Yeah, you don't know what you're for, uh-huh. right? Yeah, somebody who's asking that question is saying, "What am I allowed to do?" Like, what are you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what they should but be asking. Be alive. That's what you're called right. to do. The law is a description of being alive. Mm. It's a description of life. That's why when Jesus comes and he says he's the law incarnate, right? He's the logos. He's the word incarnate. He. We, it 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 it's not as if he has to then live up to something, mm-hmm. right? It was a description of him in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. He, here's a description of Jesus. It's the word of God, right? Yeah, right, right. And then he shows up, and here he is, right? So that metaphysical question of he, the metaphysical metaphysical question of what am I? What am I for? Um, he, what is this place? What is it for? Uh, those are all um, answered over and over by the scriptures as well. You're you are for life, right? The, mm. We're not given the the Sabbath wasn't made for man. Uh, uh, man wasn't made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, mm-hmm. right? and we're like, yeah, that's true of the Sabbath. But the rest of the law, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm right. pretty sure, right. right? But the the that's that's a summary of how we're supposed to be in relation to all of God's commands, right? Because it's just a description of who we are when we're not sinning, when we're actually alive. Man, there's so much to talk about on this. We might have to do this a third time. So um, last time we were talking, uh, there was uh, some people sent me some questions. My brother Eric from church sent me a question. He was saying, um, is Jason using the Aristotelian four causes for the studies in metaphysics, or is there another approach that works as well or better? Okay. Yeah, I don't, yeah. yeah. Go for it. Yeah. So, um, so th- there's so much we didn't talk about, and th- I want to talk about that, but I want to try and I don't want to forget his questions. I like when people, if somebody has a question, I wish they'd send it and I give it to you and say, <laughs> Jason's email is, but I love to talk about it because I'm probably have. Some people listening can think sometimes better than someone who's here in the conversation. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So I find Aristotle really useful. Um, I, I've, so I, I would say Plato's more fun to read, but he's wrong all the time. Aristotle's less fun to read, but he's right more often. Right? Okay. So, okay. Uh, and the four causes, um, Aristotle is is breaking down into the way uh, he he's he's breaking it down so that you can say. Well, what is this thing at, in its essence? What is this thing for? Mm-hmm. What is the, what is the purpose of this thing? If this thing is being used properly, what would it look like? You know, th- those kind, kinds of questions are really helpful to break it down with Aristotle. Um, I am instead uh, the way that I'm actually um, thinking about metaphysics comes from a, a Robert Farrar Capon. Um, in and his understanding of our place in the world as uh, children of Adam, and that that we fell with Adam, but we actually retained our particular place. Um, and some of it comes from his commentary on Augustine's commentary on Genesis, um, and then some of it comes from a book called An Offering of Uncles. Okay, so these some. So do you have with Robert Robert Ferrar Capon? So that's the one I brought you. Oh, you, I got yeah. it. That's yeah, this yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, so, okay. So, okay. Since we're, well, let's, let's, I, let's get to the second question. So much. Okay. So the, so you can't, you're using Aristotle. 
So you, Aristotle can be helpful when you look at a particular thing and you start, you want to break it break down. Break it down. And say, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, how's this thing? He doesn't answer the questions well, but, but he can yeah, help you break it right, down a little right. bit. So his, okay. the logic that he uses um, can be really useful in particular moments, but the answers, um, the way that the, the answers, the place that I've found the best answers are in uh, an offering of uncles by Robert Farrar Capon. And then the first half of his commentary on Augustine's commentary on Genesis. What a weird title. An offering of uncles. So his the second question here is kind of where I, th- I thought we'd spend. Oh, you had a you wanted to say something. You you misspoke last oh, time. Oh yeah yeah. So now I can't remember who I called Heidegger, but so one of I I kept calling Heidegger by the name of one of his French translators in the last episode. In the last episode, <laughs> um, and I didn't I wasn't smart <laughs> enough to know. I was so, like, okay, yeah, yeah he- Heidegger is a German, and he he affected all of the deconstructionists. But I, I was talking about Heidegger's essay, "What Is Metaphysics," um, and I. But I. But the French translator was actually who I named him. Now I can't think of who the who French was. translator was. God didn't want you to think about. It. So here's. So this next question, what is really where I thought we spend? There was so much we didn't get a chance. By the time we get to the books, it's like an hour forty five <laughs> minutes into it. But um, this question is that says uh, Jason says that the metaphysics had changed already, which led to Darwinism ascending. What changed the metaphysic? Was it an actual failure in the approach of metaphysics of before, or was it a straight apostasy of which we need to repent and return to a different path and um, return to the path? This is where I think that our whole conversation kind of feels like it needs to go right now in one sense or another. How do, you know, I always think of things in what is it, how do we lose it, and then how do we get it back? You know, that's kind of how I think about things. it is hot in here. I see, so you all right? <laughs> it is. I was going to turn the fan work. on low. Just hit it one time at the top. Turn it on low. Um, yeah. So so it's going to be a little fanny in here, but that's okay. <laughs> we're, we're burning up. Yeah. And it's, it's brother warm. got some weight on him, so it's even hotter. It's like <laughs> packed in a little bit. I assume you're talking about me. I'm talking about me. Right. <laughs> I mean, sure, but I'm talking about me. Um, yeah. That's perfect. Just point it at us. So the the history of metaphysics, I think, is, is pretty fascinating because – uh, we were talking about interrelated do- dogmatics earlier before we turned the microphones on. And well, yeah, because and, and the reason, just to interrupt you, the reason I was talking about that is because I'm realizing, and I think everybody else who listened to this is realizing that there's this this element of um, their theology that is adjusting a bit because this new brick has been added to the building, and they're like, wait a second, this brick isn't at the top, this is at the bottom. Right, right. <laughs> so everything's got to shift a little bit. And so it all of a sudden starts touching your anthropology, your eschatology, you know, um, your uh, theology proper. Everything all of a sudden gets a little adjustment there because you, you have to center this one right, 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 right. And so, and when you do, I was telling you that I've, I've learned um, going to the gym, uh, when you're working out a muscle, you that muscle gets stronger and you apply that strength to everything when you're picking up your keys and when you're, you know, you're sitting down when you're carrying your kids, you know, it's not just like, Oh, I only use that muscle when I really, really need it. No, it applies to every aspect of my life when I start using it, except sometimes when it comes to thinking, what we tend to do is learn something and we don't know how to apply that thing across all of the platforms of our knowledge. Right. Right. It stays locked in a room for only this particular thing. Yeah. I blame some of that on dispensationalism, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're easy whipping. Boy, they they, they are. They really are. But you know, so th- then you were telling me that the term was, what do you call it? A, uh, interrelated dogmatics. Yeah. We yeah. don't, ha- you said we don't have a good interrelated we, dogmatics and we yeah, don't, we, we don't, we don't, we don't. 
And the what they had in the Middle Ages, we we joke about them um, debating how many uh, how many angels could dance on the head of a pin. You know, we tell those jokes, and it is funny that we mock the medievals when they were producing tomes and tomes of philosophy, and you know we we um, you know produce the office, which is funny. But it's not tomes and tomes of philosophy, right? Right. The the, the height of our art is E.T., um, mm. which I love that movie. But it is, it is. Uh, that was yesteryear. Let's be honest. That's when we were kids. The height of right. our art now is Avengers. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Well, yeah. And actually, actually, you know, uh, well, yeah. Let's let me get started on that. <laughs> but yeah, the we, um, as as great as the Avengers movies are taking out Captain Marvel as an aberration, mm-hmm. uh, the, the rest of them being good. You have, uh, you, you have in the Middle Ages, you know, they're producing, um, you've, you've got Dante, you've got Chaucer, you've got, you have uh, Aquinas, you've got uh, even Boethius at the very beginning, right? They, uh, they had exercised their ability to think, if that's true, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Okay, it, now that I've learned something new, what does that mean? How does that affect things? And you have Plato in the in the beginning. You know, he he wants to define knowledge as uh, a direct experience uh, of my mind with the essence of a thing, right? Mm. The ability to grasp the essence of a thing directly without anything between me and the essence. Mm-hmm. That is actually how God knows things. God knows things directly. There's no intermediary between mm-hmm. God, God's knowledge of a thing and the thing itself. Mm-hmm. We only have intermediaries. Plato believed that a philosopher through reason could achieve direct knowledge of the essence of a thing. And he wouldn't call anything else knowledge. Right? So unless I can know it, know a thing the way God knows a thing, I won't even call it knowledge. Right? And so Plato, um, has already started off on uh, it, this is why sometimes he's called the the father of secular humanism or something like that. He's, he's already started off down that road. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to see that he is not like a secular humanist, humanist hit, read the Timaeus. It's his least popular um, dialogue because it destroys all of the understandings of him as some rational They can't claim humanist, him. Right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's my favorite of his dialogues, but He's not really a secular humanist, but that core idea is a core idea of secular humanism, right? So that does uh, move forward and become a part of it. But what happens in the Middle Ages is they come, they they say, "Well, no, that's idolatry. That's not God can know things directly. We can only know things. Um, we we never know things directly unless yeah. they are revealed by God to us directly." Right? And so you've got some some theologian philosophers saying, well, God just reveals things to us directly. And all the way down to B.B. Warfield, you still have people talking like that, mm-hmm. right? that, that God is directly revealing without intermediaries, revealing things to us. Right. And so um, that is one way that they solve the problem. Another way that they solve the problem is that, um, well, actually the essence of a thing is available to us because of uh because there is, because uh, the way God made the world, right? When He yeah. spoke the world into existence, 
his definition in his mind actually is what created the thing. Mm-hmm. And so the thing is the essence because it's made of the word that, that he had in his mind. You know, and so you, so you have this, this is the realism nominalism debate going on and there. And, um, you have, uh, a Christian theologian and philosopher, uh, named William Ockham come along, uh, at Oxford and say, but how does that affect our epistemology? Mm. How, how does realism and nominalism, how do they end up affecting our epistemology? Can we still say that what we have is real knowledge if the essence of a thing is actually in the mind of God? Or are we saying there's not real knowledge available? Um, or, you know, and so he's, so he's trying to work through Because we can't things. claim to know anything at that point right. if we don't have... And that, and that was his concern. And he said, I can't, if, if that's true, I can't claim that I actually know my neighbor, mm-hmm. right? that I actually have knowledge of my neighbor. If, the, the, if my neighbor, the true essence of my neighbor is only in the mind of God, he can't actually communicate himself. We know he can. And so there must be, we need to adjust our metaphysic. um, And so you get kind of a breaking off of metaphysics uh, as that if, if we're, if we think too much about the essence of a thing, then we might end up losing our ability to know things. And so, but his most famous saying is Occam's razor. uh, And that the simplest answer is usually the right one is Mm. his, is his most famous saying or uh, his version of it was something along the lines of uh, don't, don't multiply causes if a single one will do. Mm. And that, that understanding begins that, that, that Occam's razor as applied to metaphysics begins to erode confidence um, in the older understanding of, of the world as a, a very complex, integrated, uh, in, integrated place, but it's very, very complex. Yeah, and so even at that point, what you start seeing is is like, so it it almost cuts off the universe in one sense mm-hmm. and makes it um very much one to one relational well, then, or self serving in one sense, right? Because it connects, you know, just from listening to, I don't know, I'm just saying it seems like it connects, uh, disconnects man from creation. Yeah. So or or maybe the spirit of man from the spirit of creation or something like that. So why'd you put spirit in front of man <laughs> here? Let me explain. So okay. C.S. Lewis in the discarded image, um, great book. It's an introduction to medieval and Renaissance literature. And he's trying to lay out what the view of the world was that the medievals had and the folks in the Renaissance had. Now, most people don't get through the book because there's this older habit of putting the footnotes at the beginning of a book in one of the early chapters. And so people open it up and they're like, I'm never going to get anywhere in this, but they just don't realize that the first couple of chapters are all footnotes. Um. We, we have since moved the footnotes to the end. So <laughs> if you do pick up the discarded image to read it, s- skip through, I think the first two chapters are both is it, just footnotes, are just, but they, they don't read that way. Um, so we know right now people don't read footnotes. I guess what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. So, um, and then he gets to the point where he explains that the world, that the way that they saw the world was that everything was filled to the brim with life. Mm-hmm. Right? So you look up at the planets and there is, uh, that, that the planets are, they, they debated, are, 
they all, they all agreed that there was a spirit of each planet, but they debated whether or not it was a house, that the, that the planet was a house for the spirit, if the planet was like the body of the spirit, or if the planet you know, was like a horse that the spirit rode around. But they all agreed that there is a living spirit that is, uh, that is a part of that planet's mm. system in its life, right? It's core, right? right? It's yeah. core, right? It, that it, it moves um, because it's alive. The, it's alive, right? Yeah, uh, and uh, not and you know not they they didn't think it was biologically alive, right? 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 right. But that it but that there was a living spirit attached to like a to plant, every planet, a plant. You know, it, grass comes <laughs> right. up out of the ground. It's alive. Yeah, it's alive. We know when it's right. dead. We know. It's, yeah. <laughs> um, and the that uh, when when you know you go out. That the world was still enchanted, full of, full of life and and spirits. That you didn't have, uh, that that you didn't have what we have when we look up into the sky, which is mostly dead, completely quiet. I mean, mostly dead or all the way dead. We don't know. Maybe, mm. maybe there's an alien here or there somewhere. But we're looking on Mars, right? Yeah, yeah, right. We're looking, and but that you have uh, empty, cold, mostly dead space, and that the thing. The, the, the thing that sets the earth apart is it's the one place that's wet and alive. Mm. Right. It's funny because you're, you're right. Because right now we're trying to find life on planets, but it's like, um, well, you know, the planet itself is, is alive. Right. Yeah. Like, like it's, yeah. It itself is operating and functioning and doing something because it's existing out there in some form that we can it, it relate to it and engage with it. Right. Exactly. So uh, that, that life is a, an anomaly, in the modern sense mm. of the world, mm-hmm. right? In the modern sense, in the modern understanding of the world, and life was not an anomaly in the Middle Ages. Everything was full of life because spirits were alive. Everything was created, uh, but it was full of life. Right? No matter where you went, you couldn't find a place where uh, this there, there was. So this is before evolution. Yes. Yeah, so, so Occam. Um, his his understanding, I think, is put to a use that he wouldn't have wanted. Okay. And right? so you start saying, well, you know, why are we asking if the plant, you know, the planets move? Why are we positing that there is a spirit that is so in love with God that it keeps pushing the planet in its orbit? Mm. Why can't we just say, well, there's a force called gravity that keeps it moving. We don't need to know what causes it, where it's from. I mean, gravity is still just a mysterious word that holds the place of a force that we don't understand. Right? If you ask why gravity works, the answer is, Occam has told us that the simplest answer is the one we should go with. Mm. The simplest answer is to just give that mystery a word and pretend like we know what it is. <laughs> so then would, would it have been more of a feeling of, back in the day, it would have been more of like, um, the gravity exists because... It's worshiping, yeah. The the that's what it looks like for a planet to be worshiping, it, doing what it's it supposed moves to be doing in its orbit and the way right. it's supposed to, right? And it, even down to when you said, you know, if you if you asked, well, you know, the, why is it um, that they they uh, put the Earth at the center of the solar system, right? And mm-hmm. The way that everything moved and. 
they weren't on, they knew that that made it really, really complex. Mm -hmm. And they worked at building models to explain how it worked. They, they could predict much as accurately as we can what's going to go on in the stars yeah, and the heavens. Yeah. And, and it wasn't just... These, in, these two books that you gave me have been right. huge on that. A little, uh, a little book of coincidences in the solar system, that's been... But that's phenomenal. Um, but the sun, moon, and earth, like the things that they knew about the planet and where it was going to be at, and, and right. just the solar system itself was just like phenomenal. Those two have been huge and helped me understand. Like uh, Some of the arrogance we have now is just like we know everything, but right. really we don't understand the way they did, even though we might know more easierly. <laughs> yeah, you know? there's a uh, fantastic uh, book called The Badass Librarians of Timbuktu mm. that tells the story of the Timbuktu library down in Africa. And um, you know when Mus Muslims had a... I don't know, a bad habit of burning libraries to the ground. And one of the ancient world's most uh, extensive libraries was in Timbuktu. And I believe it was 7th century, 8th century. Um, the, the Muslims were on their way to burn it. And the librarian had 13 sons. And he split the library up into 13 pieces, gave one to each son, and they all took a vow to protect the library. And they went different directions. And... Over a thousand years later, they were, uh, there was a man that was able to track down the firstborn of the firstborn of the firstborn of that librarian's sons all the way down to the present, and every single one of them still had their portion of the library. Stop. Right? Some of my this, these are heroes of mine. Right? Just that um, they couldn't read some of the manuscripts anymore because the languages were dead. And but one of the things that they were able as they put that library back together was they discovered how deep and thorough a knowledge of astronomy that the Africans had, right? Mm. Just like some of the greatest astronomers of the ancient world. And we're so arrogant that when we start talking about astronomy, we start with the invention of the telescope. Mm -hmm. <laughs> As if the ancient world... Well, Christians don't even talk right. about astronomy, first of all. Right, right. Like, we don't... No, that's the devil stuff. You know, we don't <laughs> yeah, have exactly. no time for that. Right. Astronomy starts trying to tell us... I mean, I, I can't ever... I don't think I've ever sat and heard a sermon about stars and how they function with the works of them or anything like that. I don't even know in seminary if they teach stuff like that. Um, they don't. I preached one once, but I was on uh, pain medication after <laughs> surgery. So you have to be that jacked yeah, up in order to be able to preach before it. Before you're like, let me tell you about the yeah. stars. <laughs> so we'll have to talk about that another time. So, how, so evolution, based, how do we get... With a, with a metaphysics that you thought was usually proper, how do we get from that to even evolution being able to creep in? Because last time we were talking, you said, how does evolution creep in in a time where Charles Spurgeon is at the height at the of his height, career? Yeah, yeah so, so what had happened was you, you started this understanding of science that says, well, we need, the simplest answer is always the right one. Mm. And um, why do we need spirits? Why does it need to be alive? Why does it... Why do we need anything? Um, and uh, and also, do things really even need to have an essence? Right. I can know things without them having an essence in the mind of God. Right. And so, a practical a practical metaphysic, mm. um, wow, uh, takes over, combined with this understanding that the simplest answer is always right. When Darwin is writing, the understanding of the cell is that it's just a globule, 
right? That can be, it, all, all you have to do is put it into a new formation and you get something new. Didn't know anything about DNA. Didn't know anything about the internal workings of a cell even, right? Because the, the microscopes showed them that there were cells, but it was just, you know, a, a spherical globule. And that's mm-hmm. all that they knew. So they thought of them like... Planets, huh? Had to. <laughs> yeah. Right? right? Well, they, yeah, they thought of them like, you know, pieces of sand. The, oh. difference, the difference between um, the, the glass in your window and the sand on a beach mm. is just heat, right? You mm-hmm. heat the sand up on a mm-hmm. beach, you can get the glass in your window. Mm-hmm. And so all, all you, if you can rearrange the, the piece, pieces of mm. sand and make a window, you can rearrange the cells from a, uh, a, a, one of my favorite um, evolutionary biology stories is I was listening to NPR and they're talking about the this really new exciting find they found the the uh, missing link between the deer and the hippo. Mm. So the deer had become the hippo through evolution. And it went back into the water. <laughs> yeah, it went back oh, okay. into the water um, as it as it got fatter and fatter. It needed to take the weight off of its legs, and so it spent more and more time in the water. And that explains and why a hippo is so fast. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah hippos are terrifying. They yeah. can run like thirty-five miles an hour. Ridiculous. Yeah. So the um, and this guy's telling this big long story about how excited they were to find this missing link, and he told the story so that I thought they must have found some sort of like fat looking deer. And it says, well, tell me about the find. It says, well, we were digging through the shores um, out in Africa and we and we found half an ankle bone. Mm. That's all they found. <laughs> they never found the rest of the body. They found half an ankle bone and he was able to tell a story so well that the deer had just gotten fatter and fatter and become the hippo um, that that I was, th- I, I expected there to be more to the story than half an ankle bone. Mm-hmm. But that's all they had was half an ankle bone. Um, but if if it if matter is is just Plato, right? The, and that's that's how you 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 can just mold it together into whatever shape, and then it becomes that thing. The way that uh, Darwin thought about it, it actually was simpler to have. To evolution was a simpler answer than other things being being offered and since things didn't have an essence anymore since that we had lost that since we can it's funny because you were saying that I was thinking like one of the biggest things is I can know things without God like that's the huge that's the big like you know because I think a lot of people are going like, you know we get knowledge from God and so we're going back actually to a metaphysical problem when we start talking like that it's like actually no you can't Right, right. Like, like you, you, you have the ability to relate to those things, but those things exist because God has put them here on earth and given them a purpose and a form and a reason to be here, like you. Right, <laughs> right. Right, right. But so as soon as so you saying as soon as you start disconnecting the idea that, um, well, I don't need to know that thing, I don't, I don't need God right. to be able to know this thing, then you start opening up the door for like, well, this thing doesn't need God. To be itself, I think that's even that's the, that's one the step yeah, below that. Yeah, yeah. That this thing doesn't need to have God. That's the to real be thing. Itself, yeah. Right? So yeah, this um, thing doesn't need God to be itself, and so therefore, I don't need to know God to interact with this thing. Is that is that the right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Right. So um, oh, so then that even changes. Then what is this thing, and what is it for? Right. So right. right. So if I don't need God, then I've just get created. I've actually broke the first commandment. Right. right. And then I've broken the second commandment. 
and then I've placed myself in to define now what is this thing. Right. Because in my relationship with it, I can know it, right? Yeah. And then I can tell you what it's for. Right. So you look at something and you say, well, you know, that, um, you know, when, when you have, you know, let's say, a buffalo, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You look at the buffalo. And if, if the question is, if, if, that, if the buffalo has no relationship to God as its creator, right, then you can use it for whatever you want. Right? Unless, unless there's somebody more powerful than you that has to tell you to stop, right? Mm. I, I remember when, you know, raising a couple little boys, regularly you had to say, wait, whose frog is that? Right. Mm. Mm. Well, who, who put that here? Well, God put that here. You don't get to treat that frog that way. That's not your frog. That's God's frog. Mm-hmm. And so you treat that. To treat uh, God's stuff God's the way stuff, he told you to treat it. The way he told you yeah. to treat it. Yeah. Right? You don't pull its legs off. You don't, you know, it, um, that, that it's, that there, uh, uh, now God did say you can eat the frog. Mm-hmm. Right. What has he told you you can do? Right. right. What has he told you you can do? You can eat the frog. Mm-hmm. You can't torture the frog. Right, right. That right. you've got that that uh, that if that thing has an essence because of its relation to God, right? If the essence of it is, what does God say that that is in the story? Mm-hmm. Then, um, then we have to treat it accordingly, right? That oh our, wow, that I ethics. just jumped into Acts with Peter, right? <laughs> right. And yeah. and the food, right? And he's like, no, Lord, I can't. It's like, hold on, hold on, Peter. That's yeah. that's my stuff, right? Right, and I've given it to you. It's food. You don't turn down the thing that I've. <laughs> I love. It. I love how often Peter says, "No, Lord." Yeah. <laughs> and they're like, oh, it's so. That's us. It's comforting yeah. to have Peter in the Bible. <laughs> and so, and but he's making a bigger point, though. He's actually not just making a point about food. He's making right. a point about people. Right. Exactly. A particular group of people that aren't supposed. Your metaphysics, Peter, is changing. <laughs> right. 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 That's the whole thing. Like I'm bringing these people because they're mine to me, and you're going to go get them. Right. Uh huh. Those yeah. folks. And so when Jonah says, Jonah has a proper metaphysic and a, and a, about the the people that God is sending him to. Right. Right. Because right. he says, I know you're going to be gracious. To the Lord. <laughs> That's my problem right? with you. <laughs> but, but, he has, but his ethic is messed up because he doesn't want to have the same relationship to the thing that God has. Yeah. Right, to these people. So he's has. doing. He he was kind of doing in a lot of ways what so he's suppressing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. He's suppressing. Okay. So, you know, it's funny as we talk about a lot of this, sometimes I think I'm so short sighted. I think about evolution gives us a bad metaphysics, but really it's that's precedes metaphysics. Yeah. Bad metaphysics give us evolution, gave us evolution. Okay. So, man, okay. So by the time that's why, we, that's why the church has had no defense against it it has because we keep fighting evolution thinking see this is so surface a fact fact battle it's a pimple fight right it's like oh you know what i'll do i'll ice this pimple out i put a little medicine on it fixed it right and it's like no bro you got a blood problem (laughs) right (laughs) right like you you actually have a diet problem like you got you can't eat the problem is all the way down to the core right and so with something like evolution what is the what should be the way we should probably be fighting it. Well, first off, it's actually a storytelling contest, right? So when when we go to Genesis and say, "Well, but here's what 
here's the scientific facts that Genesis gives us. We've already lost, right? Mm. Because Genesis... And we're still talking about metaphysics here, we're right? We're still talking about metaphysics. But you're saying it starts with story. I, I, because what did God use to create us? Mm. He used story. He gave us a beautiful story of our creation. He gave us mm. a beautiful poem. that And, um, and mm. then he says, and you're made of poetry. And so when, when we say... I'd rather be made of science, Lord, <laughs> right? Then, then uh, um, we've already lost the battle, right? Mm. Because they say, well, we're just being scientific. And then they start telling stories. Mm. Then they start telling the story Two about the million, deer. Yeah. yeah, exactly. 60 million the years limits, ago. Limits. How did all the stories start? Long time ago in right. a far, so far, far away land. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and that's exactly what they do. They go to their genesis. Yeah, they go to their genesis. And what we don't understand is that our genesis, so they, they're talking, they, they immediately start talking mythos, right? They start talking about their myth. And myth, the myth of where we come from, because they've told it poetically, it, there's, there's a deep romance to evolution. Mm-hmm. Right? And, I mean, I remember watching, um, watching Jurassic Park, you know, back before I became a Christian, and getting the chills when you see the the dinosaurs running through the field and turning like birds right and then oh wow because it's reinforcing my mythos the, the the story that i tell to tell me who i am that's what our mythos mm. is right they have they have done that well i mean hg wells he's a brilliant myth maker and he he made the stories of evolution beautiful right so that you that you hope that it's true and you and then but they they and they bring in the bad news at the end you know, cold, uh, universal cold death <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is all of our futures, right? They, they, they bring that in at the end. Um, nothingness. Once, yeah, nothingness, and then it all returns to, to nothingness. Ashes to ashes, dust, dust to dust, dust to dust, and no resurrection, right? Mm. You know, so the, mm. the bad news comes in at the end after the mythos has come in and, and has convinced us. We have refused to understand Genesis as a mythos. It's true. That's true. Right. But it's also our mythos. I've heard Nate say we need, we need to talk about more true myths. Mm-hmm. Right. Genesis is our true myth. And it's the story of where we all came from and we don't treat it that way. So we, and because we, because we don't treat it that way, we don't treat people like people. Even us who know even, the truth, even ourselves, right? We we want give me an example of that. Right. So, when I mentioned earlier that it, poets have always steered the world. Uh-huh. Right? They've been the ones that I mean, even, I mean, to this people will say, "Oh, poetry is dead." There's no Ice Cube is in the White House. Right. right. <laughs> He's being. They say, "Hey, we need to know what we should do next." Oh, somebody call Ice Cube. Right. right. Why is he there? Cool, because. He's because his, his poetry, right? yeah. his poetry, right. it's, it's um, you know, public enemy has had an enormous effect on the world. Oh, yeah. Just through poetry. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he, so we, we have always that. And that's because we are human beings, right? Because uh, um, because we are human beings made of stories, made of poems. We are poems come to life. The things that change us and create us are stories and poetry. They're not a gimmick mm. um, in order to, to pass off you know, Gnostic, Gnostic 
sentences that will somehow change us, right? Ide- mm. Ideas have consequences, but not nowhere near the consequences that stories do, mm. right? And um, because because we've refused to treat Genesis like a mythos, this is who this is where we come from. This is what gives us our identity, and have refused to treat uh, you know, Revelation and and Isaiah two and the the stories of the future as as part of our mythos, the things that tell us who we are. Um, we don't have any defenses against somebody else coming in with an alternate mythos, and our children don't have mm. any defenses against somebody coming in with an alternate mythos. So, you, you, yeah, because that part of us, everybody talks about the you know, God shaped hole in your heart, right? The truth is, is like, but you have a story shaped hole, really, right? right? Like that's yeah. really what it is, and yeah. so you need so something's going to fill it, right? Like when Jesus talks about binding the strong man, like something's going to be in there, right? Right. Uh, you, it's going to be filled with something. Neil, Neil Gaiman, um, I can't remember if I quoted this last time or not, but he, he says that uh, we are shaped by the songs and the stories that surround us, especially if we don't have a song of our own. Mm. Right? But what is it that tells us who we are? It's the stories and the songs that surround us. But that's why something like the 1619 Project, why it's so effective, because they say, let me tell you what America really is. Right? Mm-hmm. And they're giving a whole new identity to the country, and be, by giving it a new mythos. But we, but our children, we don't give our children, uh, we we don't tell our children the stories that they actually need. And this, so we were talking about this. And you say, like, let me take you back a little further than sixteen nineteen, and you Magna Carta, but you got Reformation. You know, that's after that. But you, you got, yeah. But you know, there's a. You know, you were talking about earlier. So the whole Reformation, what people um, think about, it, they think about it as a, you know, of course, it had the issues of justification that was all around right. it, but it was really a metaphysical uh, yeah. question so, that started and engaged the whole Reformation, right? Yeah. How's, how is that? Because well, one of the good things that came from William Ockham was he said he actually, um, in his day, you began having people say, actually, the Pope doesn't have, the Pope can't redefine things. Right? What but, is the Pope and what is he right, for? What is the Pope and what is he for? <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's actually overstepping his metaphysical bounds, right? Mm. If he, in, it, because there are other things that set limits upon him, right? And um, so. Uh, so, the, so then the idea, and that's how you start getting the idea of spheres, because that's questions getting answered again. Yeah. What, what's, what, and so he, William Ockham also, um, he was one of the people that opposed transubstantiation. Mm. Um, the uh, the Lollards, John Huss, come mm-hmm. directly from his. So so him him saying, actually, how do we know the essence of God, or how do we know the essence uh, of things? Um, well, it's not by getting in getting into the mind of God, God actually spoke things into existence and the limits on things come from what God says about them mm. comes from what God has called them. God says, this thing is this, and this is its limits. Right. And so the Pope has limitations. So you have the, that question um, kind of comes to its fruition in the, uh, amongst the reformers by saying, okay, well, let, we can actually ask these questions, right? So, mm. so um, I mean, there were other major influences uh, that uh, on the Reformation, 
But what was called the Christian humanist movement grows out of Occam and the, and Oxford. It, the Christian humanist movement was we want to return to the sources. We want to understand things in their original context and that mm. God um, that God's plan is to restore our humanity, right? That Christian humanism, so that whatever, so Calvin can say, um, you know, even the even the pagan poets uh, of the ancient world are given for the enjoyment of God's people, right? Why are why are the you know you you can't uh, he opens up the institutes with you can't know God without knowing yourself, you can't know yourself without knowing God, mm. right? That, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's that's all Christian humanism that grows out of Occam. That um, that says well, there's actually um, we can mm. ha- we can have this conversation um, and so the, uh, Occam and uh, uh, Wycliffe was a contemporary of Occam and they they're they're starting to say hey we should try to get the Bible into the hands of people mm. right? that because people are the kind of creature that can understand the Word of God. And should have it in their own language, right? So, so, though, so all of these, all of these questions about they're um, answering first question. Yeah, yeah, they're answering certain questions first, which makes them operate in a search way, certain way. Right. Why do you want a, a people to have the Bible? Right. Well, they're the kind of creature that can have communication with God. And apart from this, they don't have special revelation, right? So, right. Yeah. We, what we need to do is so then it drives what they do. You know. Yeah. Okay. So, so, um, so in, but there's a there's a secularization of that that's bad, right? When you try to take anything, the devil never comes along and just says, "Hey, have you thought about murdering your neighbor?" Mm. Right? He comes along and he says, "Man, don't you hate the way your neighbor smiles at you?" Right? <laughs> he, mm-hmm, he, mm-hmm. he 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 comes along with some with something that's almost. But that's more. He don't deserve that nice car. Yeah, like man, how come he has a nice car and you don't? Right. Right, He he comes along and and he he always tempts us with something good. He doesn't tempt us with something evil. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, uh, right now you know you have um, this this crazy self identity. Um, movement, right? We mm-hmm. Identify ourselves as whoever it is we right. Want, the trans right? movement right now is doing that. Yeah, it, non-binary. It, right. But if you if you think about it, this that's just salvation by faith alone, separated completely from the faith. Right. I can be- whatever I believe about me is true. Right. Well, mm. the, the that's the word of faith movement. It's the word of faith movement. Exactly. Right. Yeah. It, it's. So that's I'm going to call this thing into existence. <laughs> exactly. Right. That, that wasn't that that wasn't their idea. Right. That's something that that's a mistake that we made, and then we hand it off to them, and they ran it to the end because you know we, we as Christians mm. we're on a leash, right? God God pulls yeah. us back in, um, and and it, when it, when God doesn't pull us back in, that's how you know that you're not one of his in part of his uh, pack, you know. Um, the, but very often, you know, we have the, you know, the, the dogs, they run with us and they learn which direction to go. And then God pulls on the leash and then they they, split, they they keep keep going going. (laughs) off. 
That's inch. So, okay, man, let, let me try this. You're probably not ready for this, but I wanted to ask you. I haven't been ready for anything. Yeah, you are. You are kind of ready for it. So, so I'm fascinated with the idea that the word of faith, when you look at it, we've answered. Have we been fighting the issues with the word of faith the wrong way, too? I mean, because you know, the metaphysical, when you just said that, it clicked for me. Well, this is a metaphysical problem because that's not mm-hmm. what you're that's not who you are. That's not what you're designed for. You're, you, you know, yeah. this is breaking the first commandment. There's a lot of things going on here, right? But that's a metaphysical problem, though. Right? Could you walk that out a little bit? Yeah. So Jay Gresham Machen, he he when he when he says what is faith, right? He says what the question yeah. what is faith? He says well, faith is believing what God promises. Right? It's not believing what God promises is faithlessness. Uh, but then he says, believing something God has not promised is presumption. Right? We, we, um, we're much more comfortable in you know, one camp or the other camp. Mm-hmm. Right? So post post World War One, we've been the the evangelical church has said, I mean, I know God promises to fill the world with the, His Word, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but really. I don't think we can believe that, right? Right, right. right. That's we, far-fetched. It's a little far-fetched. The, the, um, whereas the right about that same time, the Pentecostal movement um, began veering off in the other direction, believing things God has not promised. But, but yeah, so you got Azusa Street that's believing the promise, yeah, right? You got a lot of it's believing. It's got all the belief that it could ever want. Yeah. Um, and but but some of the teachers are running off in directions where they no longer have have promises of God. Mm. Some of some of them aren't right. Some of those Azusa mm-hmm. Street guys are straight down the middle. Yep. Um, but the uh, but but they've been disconnected from the covenant, right? In terms of their thinking, right? Their metaphysic has been disconnected from the covenant, has become individualized. Who am I? Is a question of my relationship directly to God, not my relationship to God as part of his people, right? Mm. So who, who am I is a relational question covenantally, right? We, it's a re- we have a relational metaphysic of when we ask the question, who am I? Because of the covenant. And the promises of God are given in, to God's covenant people, right? The, um, you know, in Second Peter, it says we're saved now by baptism, right? Not by, not by the washing off of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a clean conscience towards God, right? Baptism puts mm. us into the covenant where we have the promises of God that when we say, when we, when we ask questions, um, how do I know my conscience is clean? Well, God has sent his son to die for me. I'm a part of his people. We are the people for whom Christ died. My conscience is clean because here I am. I've been baptized into God's people. Right? Mm. That, um, that, that when you have the covenant, the promises are yours, um, that John Calvin, he's talking about, he's talking about the Lord's Supper. This is in Calvin's ecclesiastical advice, his letters. Uh, people would write him letters, say, hey, can I get some advice about how to do church? And he, in there he talks about um, that one of the uh, functions of the sacraments is that you might think when the, the promises of God are declared generally that mm. it applies to someone else and not to you. Yep. When the when the promises of God are applied to you sacramentally, they're given to you as an individual. Yeah. And so somebody else, he says, the the, the promises of God become yours by mastication and swallowing. Right. You mm. chew and swallow the promise of God because some. And he says because somebody else can't do that for you, you know 
that the promise of God's faithful, that the promises of God are yours as an individual. Mm. Right? If you've got a metaphysic though, that says, how do I connect to God? Well, I connect to God through my mind, you know, through my mind in the evangelical church or through my emotions in the charismatic church directly as an individual, then the promises of God are the prom are, have been disconnected from the, ob the objective covenant of God. Wow. Right. So, Whatever that's I believe, dangerous. Yes, very dangerous, right? So that's that's the dangers of the but, Pentecostal movement. Well, that's the dangerous of the Reform movement, right? Some some of my Reform Presbyterian guys like that's a serious, yeah. you know. That's what, that was going to bring it that direction. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'll, 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 no, I don't no, no. nobody heard that. Go ahead, say it. I'll let you say it. <laughs> well, no, I mean the 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 problem the the temptation in the charismatic side is that whatever I feel is the promises of, of God is the promise. So of we God. always got to keep the feeling right. going. Got to keep, keep the feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do I know the president? The, the spirit is mine individually because I can feel it. Right. Mm -hmm. um, the uh, but then on the reform side, it's all up in the mind, right? It, that it's you've got to you've got to keep convincing yourself over and over of it, right? Um, yeah, yeah. And so, and, and um, rather than being able to say. Well, what is faith? Well, now you just need another book. Like you need, you need to. Yeah, you're right. You keep convincing yourself of it over yeah. and over, and there is no bodily form to connect. So, I, I, if I can describe it before you go on, um, you have a supernatural side that is um, you're holding on to it with everything inside. Yeah. You know, and yeah. there's, there's no tangible touching of it, right? Um, it's all supernatural, and then, and then the reform side is all ethereal. It's right, in, it's in yeah. your, you know, and it's, it's like, mind. what do you know about this thing? There's no tangible touching in any way. There's no feeling from it. This is one of my biggest problems coming to uh, reform theology was, you know, Jonathan Edwards for me was like, what do I do with these feelings? <laughs> like, what do I do with these things? I'm not supposed to have them anymore because I'm reformed. So, <laughs> right, right. So anyway, we, I mean, I know, but I think Jonathan, you know, Jonathan Edwards is a good example. So, um, of what does it look like to nail down the objective covenant promises of God, believe they are mine as an individual, mm -hmm. right? So um, I, you know, when I, I was a brand new Christian and I was in, uh, at my high school, at pu public high school, and we were reading through American literature and we read the first half of sinners in the hands of an angry God, mm -hmm, <laughs> just mm -hmm. the part about the spider. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Look how terrible these awful Puritans are. And I mean, here I am reading it as a new Christian. I mean, this is how new of a Christian I was. So I had, um, I had ordered the BMG, you know, BMG music. Remember you used to order yeah, CDs yeah. Like eight weeks to get your new CDs. Yeah. You, yeah. You had a, so, yeah, I remember that. So I order, I order uh, nine inch nails. Yeah. And, I'm really excited about this new album and then go off to church, get saved. By the time the album comes, I'm like, Oh man, I forgot. You know, I put this in and I'm like, Oh, I don't like this anymore. <laughs> I don't understand what's, why do I not like this? The thing that I loved had been shifted and changed. Something inside me had been changed. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, I, uh, and right at that same time in my secular American literature class, we read the beginning of sinners in the hands of angry God. And here he is talking and quoting the Bible. And I'm like, I need to know more about this. Right. So the internet's a brand new thing. And so go, I go search Yahoo, <laughs> yahoo.com and search 
Jonathan Edwards and find jonathanedwards.com, which I don't think is even there anymore. And oh. just, and, and cause I, find out. I don't going. trust that the internet is going to last. So I was like, I, I didn't think I remember that, that feeling. Yeah. I remember that feeling. So I printed off everything on jonathanedwards.com. Right? I so forgot I, about that website. I had like a thousand pages and I just start digging in and reading, but he's talking about sanctification as, um, the, 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 uh, pressing in to the promises of God, right? That's what he calls sanctification, pressing in to the promises of God. So, you know, these promises are about you and you press in and say, no, this is, I I believe this. I believe this. You press into the promises of God and, and find them trustworthy, right? You, Mm -hmm. and then you're changed in the process of pressing into the promises of God and finding them trustworthy, right? That, so that understanding of sanctification is is this that understanding that who I am comes from my relationship to God, mm-hmm. right? And who I am that I know I have the relationship to God because I have this relationship with His people. Mm-hmm. The covenant promises are mine. How do you keep the covenant? Well, you keep it by faith. Mm. Keep it by pressing into the promises of God that are yours. Objectively, they become yours. Um, more and more and more by faith uh, as you press into them and then you changed and you become who you were intended to be by God, right? Mm-hmm. You're changed by that process of pressing in to the promises of God and finding them trustworthy. Mm. So then, and then when you, so communion in that is the tasting of that. The, right, yeah. Right, that's how you know individually in yeah. a tangible way. Right, because when the, preacher stands up and says, God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. Your sins have all been taken away and he will take care of you. Mm-hmm. Right? There are promises about the kind of relationship you have with God. And there are promises about how God will act going forward. And you might think that's for somebody else, like somebody sitting down the pew from you. you know, it's just a general declaration. But as soon as you pick up that promise in bread and drink it in wine, you know, actually, God is promising me that he loves me. He's promising me that he will take care of me. Right. Right. That, that he is. And so in the Westminster Confession, it says that they are signs and seals of the promises of mm-hmm. God. Right. So that's what we're talking about, that the promises are sealed to me as an individual by the sacraments. Mm. As you so uh, go anytime that you want to bring up like some of the things you think that we might have missed out last time, if you can remember what they <laughs> oh, were, because there's so much we we didn't talk about. But one of the things you talked about was evangelism. Yeah. So I, I want to hit that by starting with the idea, you know, because praise God for the Spirit, man, because we have done so much to glorify God's name in so much of our ignorance. But it had, and when you step back, you have to say it has to be God. Because there's so much stuff I didn't know when I was right. spread, preaching the gospel. Oh, yeah. There was no, oh, yeah. so much stuff I didn't know when I was evangelizing people. There's so much stuff I didn't know when I was disciplining my kids. And through all of it, God has used my ignorance and still given me so much good fruit in, in light of that. Right. So you don't want to look back on the time before you understood the metaphysics and say, I was so stupid. And it's like, yeah, yeah you were. Yeah. <laughs> right. But, but, but God <laughs> knows just, how to work with stupid. More years yeah. and you think about yourself now. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And that's kind of forgetting sanctification in the process. God moves us from glory to glory. Right. So, but it's, it's glory to glory. It's not like absolutely stupid idiot dummy to glory. No, no, it's, you're still, you're, right. you're in the likeness of Christ. 
<laughs> and you're growing, right? And you're, you're maturing. And so there's a lot of times we can look at some of the old things that we might have, whatever we were doing before we understood how important metaphysics was. Right. And then we're like, oh man, I got to fix so much of this now. I got to readjust, every, you know, putting that brick in the right place, yeah. everything yeah. shifts. Um, but we don't want to poo-poo on that necessarily, right? We want right. to say, right. all right, thank you, God. Praise God for that. Now, how do I do it better? Um, but one of the things is with evangelism, I've realized that my evangelistic process has changed because of understanding this a lot better. Um, so when I look to evangelize someone, the the verses like uh, that talks about if you've seen someone in need, you know, um, um, you don't meet that need. Like you've right, mi- you've right. missed out on the biggest opportunity to to proc- proclaim the gospel. Right. Yeah. And 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 so some take that and run off with like you know all we need to do is make sure poor people have houses and food and stuff like that. Like, right. You know, but their souls, not so much. We've, we've reached the gospel if they have the thing. Right. They destroy, they, they, they forget who they are and what they're for in both of those. Or the other side is like, we just need to preach the gospel. Right. And that's something I've learned with people who just say, we, ju- we just need to preach the gospel. They, you know, this is kind of the dispensational thing. They've completely sh- have a shattered metaphysics. Right, yeah. yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, hold on. What is he and what is he for? Right. Right. And so him being a human being made in the image of God, he needs to be remade. He needs to be, uh, I'm kind of pulling off of a uh, um, Glenn Sunshine. He needs to be enchanted. Somebody, a, a wizard needs to come through and put a spell <laughs> right. on yeah. him and remake this person. Right. That's what the Holy Spirit does right. through the gospel. The enchantment of the gospel re- restores this person and makes them new again. Right. right? Yeah. We, that that evangelism is um, us going into a colony of frogs as a princess and kissing as many as we can. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's weird. <laughs> but I'll take it. I'll take it. But no, you're right. That's yeah. a, it's, it's, en- it's, it's enchanting. Like that's what God is doing. And so it's like, I don't have the magic to change a frog right. back into a prince. Right. But I have a promise. Right. That when princesses kiss frogs. Right. Exactly. And so, so when people are, so, which is I, by default, I just don't know how you don't become post-millennial. <laughs> right, because yeah. in that process, because to me, what people are saying, not intentionally, but what people are saying when they see someone with what God restores that person and makes a new person is that that new person doesn't have an effect on the rest of the world and the way it operates. Right. Right. So, like, so that their metaphysics is completely shattered. They don't even know it, though. Yeah, we, we don't even realize it. And and you you see it in the way that we share the gospel that for, you know, I, I um, was post-millennial about individual Christians' life stories long before uh-huh. I came to understand it at the history, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, and, um, you know, Jonathan Edwards, it's like, no, you will get sanctified, right? Because it doesn't depend on you, or it depends on the right, power of the Spirit. Right, you can't help it. it. You can't help it. He's, he, you might resist it, but he'll drag you there. But, um, but when we go to share the gospel, you can see how often we're actually thinking more like Gnostics and that the per- the thing that this person is for is to be separated from their body and sorted into heaven or hell. Mm. That that's what they're, we think that's the kind of creature they are and what they're for. So, so, uh, so be real quick, so, man, so much, we might have to do another one just on Gnosticism <laughs> because it relates to metaphysics. What you just said made me think, so if you have, uh, a bad understanding of metaphysics by default, you end up falling into Gnosticism. Yeah. Is that yeah, right? Uh, yeah. Gnosticism is the, 
is the default metaphysic that we actually live under right now. Right. So, okay. Explain Gnosticism and how we got and, okay. and, and how that relates to metaphysics. Just okay. that statement. So, um, Gnosticism is the belief that, um, that we are, that we are trapped by our bodies and by history and that salvation is rescuing us from our bodies and from history by giving us the right ideas. When we have the right ideas, we're rescued from our body and we're rescued from history. That's Gnosticism. That's Gnosticism. Right? That's the old religious form of Gnosticism. Well, it actually sounds like what most evangelicalism is today. It's kind of scary. It's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. Because all we need to do is give people new ideas. By them having new ideas, they're regenerated. And from that regeneration, exactly. they become good people and function in the world. So that's yeah. not how well, it... They, they become people who no longer care about their body and no longer care about their history. That's what Oh, we, my goodness. Right. It's all on a sinking ship. It it's is. just polishing yeah, brass. On, right. we that's dispensationalism. Saved. We got to get saved from history, right? Whereas... The gospel oh, wow. actually saves us back into history. Right? Okay. Jesus ra- was raised us from the dead, ra- raised, was raised from the dead, and raises us from the dead so that we can be saved back into history. The Spirit, we don't have a promise that the Spirit will work in our heads individually, right? We have a promise that God will work in history. Jesus came into history. He took on a body. He saved He saved history, right? And, and we, I mean, the whole, the whole idea of the spirit of God being the the wind that blows the ship of history, I think, is something that we have lost as well. Right? There's a whole philosophy of history that comes with this metaphysic. Mm. Uh, but we're not saved from our bodies and from history. We're actually saved back into it. There, I mean, there's a reason that we don't teach the doctrine of the resurrection of the body at the end of time. That was considered enormously good news to the ancient world. But we we now think of it as I get to go to an add on. Right, I get to go to heaven when I die. That's the good news. Whereas actually, that's not even what the Apostles' Creed said. The Apostle we 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 are saved from only going to heaven when we die by Jesus. <laughs> right, we go. To, mm. We're saved from having just an eternal soul by Jesus. Right? So we're, at, but at, so we're we believe in life after life after death. Right, mm-hmm. we go to be with the Lord while we, but that's like the waiting room. Um, Abraham's bosom, yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah, well, Abraham's bosom was the waiting room of the Old Testament, right? I mean, but then, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, now the waiting room is the throne room of God. Yeah, but it's still just a waiting room for the new, new heaven, new the, earth, the new heavens, the new earth, the final resurrection, the 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 ultimate adoption, um, the different things. So when we go to do evangelism, because we think we go. We say, "Where where are you going to go when you die?" Mm-hmm. Right? We're saying that's the that's the real ultimate question, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because that's no longer the ultimate question for most of the people we're talking to. They're like, "I don't care wherever I want to, right? Wherever I want to, yeah. I'm just going to go smoke some more pot in right. the meantime, right? Right, right. right. Yeah. exactly. Um, Probably nothingness. Yeah, nothing. Who cares? Or, I don't. It doesn't matter now. Or, well, I'll decide when I get there. You know, you, there isn't even a world for them. There's right. no categories for that anymore for yeah. them to even think about. But so my my whole view of evangelism was completely flipped on its head once, and I was sitting at my at at the park with my uh, wife and our two little 
tiny girls. Um, and this, our girls were being sweet and they ran up and said, Oh, I love you, mommy. And my, and this other mom said, Oh my gosh, how do you get your kids to be like that? And my wife said, I just think about how God has treated me in Christ and try to treat my kids that way. He sent Jesus to die for me, loved me, and gave himself completely away. And so I try to focus on what it would be like to give myself completely away for these kids. And I thought, what did you just do? Right. <laughs> How did you just do that? Right. right? But did, and she was like, what? what? That's really actually what I do. <laughs> like, that's, that's really I did, my yeah, right, 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 exactly. So, see, it, but the gospel was not something separate from her ethics the way we tend to do it, right? The gospel was her ethic, right? Mm. How has God treated me? Because of the way God has treated that, I don't look at people and think, well, I should return to them how they've treated me. Or I look at God and think, how has he treated me? How should I treat other people? He has treated me uh, by sending Jesus to die for me. So that is my ethic. Right? There's not a, there's not this separation. So just because she's really smart and thoughtful and, she she and the spirit was at work in her life and all you know, all the things she has this integrated ethic um integrated metaphysic and ethic uh that's a, that's tangible that's right tangible now right yeah, yeah. now in yeah, front yeah, yeah. of her yeah and so when somebody asks for advice she shares the gospel right and i've seen i've seen her do it so many times now and it is not a gimmick, right? It's just how it's she just how she thinks. So how is that different than what we we, we typically do right now with evangelism? Um, somebody says, "Oh, you you need you." They ask for advice, and you say, "Well, let me tell you uh, how I spank my kids. Let me tell you this. I, I can tell you all of the things that I did, and when those don't work, come back, and I'll tell you about Jesus." <laughs> well, and, and the fact, that or we say, "Oh, you don't need advice." Well, you need good news. And with your wife, just observing that too, what she did is somebody asked her something about her kids. And for her, there isn't any separation from the way that, like you just said, um, the way that God has treated me. So if somebody says, how do you have good kids? It's like, you're a Christian, right? <laughs> right? You <laughs> yeah. understand the whole worldview right. of Christianity? You understand right. how God made the universe? Okay. All right. So, so when we do evangelism, though, um, I think someone would ask, aren't you missing out on the biggest problem that people have right now and that they need to be saved from hell? Right. So when right. something like that, like you, she didn't mention hell. She didn't mention, you know, any of since people, since we're, aren't you missing out on, isn't that their biggest problem? The, um, it, it depends. So when, when the question of what's your biggest problem depends on the question of what are they and what are they for? Right. So, Dante in his uh, in his Divine Comedy and in the Inferno, he he's got this amazing point that he makes over and over that our sin has carries within it the beginning of its own punishment, right? The beginning of the punishment you receive. It's in Romans you. one, right? It is. It's Romans it's one now being revealed, and he and Dante um, works it out poetically and shows what it looks like for particular sins mm. to begin punishing us. Right. So that it's not like we begin that. So, you know, um, uh, somebody ends up in hell because they've been there 
all along, right? I mean, mm. it, it's, a, it's a physical place, right? Mm-hmm. Hell, mm-hmm. it should mm-hmm. have a capital letter at the beginning. Yeah. Like, you know, like uh, Seattle. But God's know. judgment doesn't just start at one place. Right, right. It's not as if right now they're not under the judgment of God. But the, the reason, though, um, is because they were built for fellowship, right? They're made in the image of God. They're the kind of creature that's built for fellowship with God and with others. Right? That That's the kind of creature that we are from the beginning. Right? God made us in his image, male and female, made them in his image, right? Mm-hmm. The, we're, we're, the image of God is singular as individuals, and it's plural, like God is singular and plural. So you've got this yeah. um, this creature, this thing in front of you that was built for fellowship, right? Hell is just an extension of being out of it, mm-hmm. out of fellowship for eternity, right? And the, and the, and it's eternal because you don't quit sinning when you get to hell. You can, you remain, you remain mm. in your sins. So the, you continue to um, punish your, you, you continue to receive the punishment for your sin into eternity because we're also built for eternal fellowship, right? So that's the kind of creature that, that you're talking to in front of them. Hell is part of that, part of the problem, but hell is actually a symptom as well of, of, the, of that turning their back on God, of turning away from fellowship with God. Right? So their problems are, is, are guilt and shame and fear and you know, all of those things, and hell is the eternal extension of those things. But all of those things are ways in to help people understand what Christ has done on their behalf, mm. what Christ has done on the cross. Not in a not limited atonement way, Christ done on their behalf. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> I am, I'm reformed. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, a, I'm in your tribe, people. <laughs> so <laughs> hold all those things together. Right. Hold all those things together. So when, when, so then um, when someone is, um, uh, the way that someone, the metaphysics of that is when you're witnessing to someone, I just want to get back to, you said sin uh, or shame, guilt, you know, all that stuff is you usually get all those things because you were designed a particular way to do particular things for a particular person. Right. And so the shame and the guilt and all that stuff that comes, like you said last time in the last one we were talking um, last week, so, social anxiety and anxiety, yeah. all those things are coming because you're not functioning the way that you're supposed to be functioning in God's world. Right. And so because of that, the sin of not doing that brings all those things on you. Right, right. I mean, that is, you know, and, and, and so the relationship that you look to be restored to because you know that you need to be restored in some way is in Christ. And he actually made a way for you to be able to have that type of relationship him with him that removes your guilt, shame. Right. Am I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Right. I'm going to start preaching in a second. So <laughs> you just, you just jump in. Well, that's, that's exactly it. Right. Is the, the, um, when you say, when, when you talk to somebody, um, and where, wherever they are is not too far away from the gospel. Right. Mm. Because, the kind of creature that we are, um, you know, we will de- we sin pulls us away from our humanity, right? It shatters our humanity. Yeah. Um, but they don't cease to be human, right? This is part of Gnosticism, right? We 
one of the symptoms of our Gnosticism is that we think conversion makes us a new kind of creature, right? We think that conversion makes us a different species from people. You know, mm-hmm. And so you, when you talk to somebody and they're like, oh, yeah, man, they're so good at this. And I'm, you know, I mean, they're not a Christian, but they still, you know, mm-hmm. it's amazing. And you think, well, yeah, but they're still a human, right? The, what's the difference between us and them? It's not what kind of creature we are, right? It's our relationship to God covenant in, in our relationship to one another, right? We, we have, um, the covenant promises of God. That's a, that is a, we're not a different kind of creature. And so, um, when we talk to somebody, they're not, they are not far from the gospel or they're not far from the, uh, and especially if they bumped into one of us, you know what I'm saying? Right, you know what right, I'm saying? You yeah, about to get this yeah, gospel right, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, but so often we think there's only one entry point. Into but there, you know there's twelve there's That's twelve right. pearls uh, pearl doors you know there's northeast southwest there's yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of doors in we've we've given because of our because of the fact that we don't understand who people are and what they're made for. We only think of, that's narcissism. We only think that there's only one way to be able to communicate to them. And usually it's whatever way we can. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Yeah. So it's very self-centered in a lot of ways, which is like, I felt really guilty. And, but I, so I only know how to share the gospel with somebody that felt that feels really guilty. And so we try to ratchet up the guilt. Right. Um, And that's actually what most of Christendom has done is just ratchet up guilt. And it's already there. There's a lot of different things that they're, Okay, so we don't have much time. I know we got to run, but um, what did I just write? Oh, so today is beginning of like Pride Month. Yeah. My Facebook, I turned it on this morning, and and Facebook told me that today was about the gay. (laughs) And the rest of this month, too. It's a gay day. It's a gay day. And, you know, with that in mind, I want to talk about metaphysics with this right now. How do we, you know... I'm learning more and more with my rhetoric how to, my rhetoric has absolutely changed the more that I think about this. But as we think about homosexuality in our country, it's amazing to me. Homosexuals, I think are smaller, much smaller minority than than black culture in America, much smaller. And they have gotten so much more or as much play culturally as black people in America is amazing to me. Yeah. Um, But, with that being the case, and knowing that we have to deal with that, what are some good forms of rhetoric with the proper metaphysics that would help us? Because if we're going to have to deal with this this whole month, right? Um, this is getting jammed in our face. How how should we be having these conversations? You think right now? Well, and it, and what, I guess first of all, where, where are we usually failing at? Like, you know, I've seen you know everybody knows by default that um, um, what do you uh. No one sees them anymore. It was that Baptist, those Baptist guys that would be out there and it's like, uh, oh, their yeah. signs. Um, um, forget their names. Yeah, the good riddance. I'm glad. <laughs> uh, I'm glad. Yeah, I'm glad. Yeah, I can't even yeah. remember their names. Look, look, right. look at God. <laughs> but the, you know, they used to be out there. They, and it's just a family. Stand yeah. They stand and, there and they'd be just the most vile thing that they could be. Um, right. You know. Well, so I think a, a big part of it is, you know, um, when like, we don't actually do exegesis very well. And so when something is called an abomination, we think that means it's gross. Right. Right. Actually an abomination in terms of the, the book of Leviticus, it means it's an attack upon the image of God. Mm. Right. It's something that actually is going after the 
God by attacking his image. In the most gross way. I just want to throw that <laughs> But right. so um, if, yeah. if that's the case, though, then, um, you know, it, it says in that, that as the, um, we, should, we should be saying, well, then where's our opportunity to restore that to, to restore that image it's uh it's talking in terms of you know male female relationships mm. um that we have this opportunity of just living well as a family and inviting people to see it you talked right. about this last time the beauty of marriage right the beauty i think that's a such a huge uh, part the beauty of marriage the beauty of children but then what we often do is we say okay, I need to go, we, we need a good family, we better retreat, right? And we'll get our piece of property up in Montana, which right. I love Montana. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but it's desolate, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, well, if you get to certain places. Yeah, yeah. Just, Even not, they're big cities. There's a big city in Montana. I mean, really. There are no big cities. Exactly. No. Yeah, well, there's some great rivers, right? So <laughs> you, you, but we, we say let's retreat to keep our family clean and pure mm-hmm. as if we're going to get we're going to get mm. some of them on us if we get too and close. And if we do, you know those zombie bites. <laughs> right, once you right, get yeah. bit, everybody gay now. Yeah, you know? <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but, 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 you know, and, and our, you know, if we, if we don't, if we stay out there, then our gaydar stays well tuned and all that. But, but it actually, it's the, the, it says it, the, it to, that we're supposed to think the opposite way or in second Timothy, it says, how is it that we stop the mouth of heathens that are blaspheming? Right. I Cause I think, you look at something like Pride Month and you think, oh, man, you know what I need to do? I need to stop their mouth. I better get on Twitter and be rude. <laughs> right? right? Like, oh, that'll that'll work. That's a great idea, right? No, but it, it actually tells us how to do it, right? And there's two ways. One is the pulpit. And if you're a pastor, then you have that opportunity, right? You, but the other uh, place is the hospitality in the home, right? It says that uh, older women teach the younger women to love their husbands, uh, to love their children, to uh, be hospitable at home, and it will stop the mouths of those blaspheming the word of God. Right. So, a a family that's functioning well, right? When you love your wife really, really well, and she's filled up, and she wants to be hospitable and mm. and have people in, um, and and show them what it looks like to do the opposite of abominating the image of God. Right. To embrace it, to love it, to see it in your children and rejoice, to see it in your wife, to see it in your husband and rejoice, to serve one another, to, to love and respect one another. Right. And then invite people in. Right. Some, some of the, we, you know, we've had, we did um, college evangelism quite a bit. And so we would have uh, big groups of college students in to, to our house to have pizza. And, and my kids would sit at the table and we'd pray and we'd, you know, sing our song before dinner and 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 then my kids would see me sit and talk to somebody who's tempted by to transgenderism who um uh, mm. would say you uh hey i oh you're a pastor i've never met a pastor last weekend you know, one girl was saying oh uh, last weekend i was made out with a girl at a party what does the bible say about that right they just bring it to you, like bring it to me, drop right? it on your lap, so, and get to get to talk to him about it, and and have my kids sit there and watch, watch the look on my face of 
you know, lo- love and compassion with a person and say, um, I'm so glad you brought that up. Right. I'm so mm-hmm. glad you know, I would love to share with you what the Bible says, right. To, um, that you have this opportunity right, that, that we have a superpower. There is, there is a superpower that God has given us to shut the mouth of blasphemers. And it's a, f- a well-functioning family being hospitable. Mm-hmm. Right. And actually what it says is a, that a hospitable uh, wife and mother is a superpower in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So we as men don't really even have that. Right. Right. Um, that, that uh, the, the only things powerful enough to stop the, uh, the, to stop the, the mouth of the blasphemer are the word of God preached from the pulpit and a hospitable wife that loves her uh, husband and children. Right. There are mm. certain things that are that are that are uh, that, that's the can't that, be argued against. That's and that's I know I don't know if but that involves us getting close enough to actually put yeast in the loaf. That, okay, man, we got books <laughs> on the table. We didn't even talk about yet. But that's this is why metaphysics is so important is because all you basically said. I'm looking for some deep, great answer on all this. And what I got was basically the conversation we had the first time. What did God put you in the? What are, what are you? What are you, Adam? What are you? And what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to garden, right? Yeah. Keep and protect. Keep this garden. And through the tasting of this garden, people, right? Your wife is sitting here helping you do this. She's giving you multiplying. Like, what are you? This garden is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I had more opportunities to share the gospel because of my wife's brownies than probably anything. Mm. Because the rumor of my wife's brownies was was literally pulling college students into our house, but that's because this you said this in passing. That's because in order to get that, that's a man who's pouring into his wife. There, you, we've talked about this and we per, privately, but you said um, a man's glory is not for himself, yeah. but is for his wife. Right. And when I thought about he, like a man who keeps glory to himself, he doesn't. He doesn't have any, he loses it, right? right. It's, it's not effective. Right. But a man that puts his glory in his wife, who's made the glory of man, right? Uh, that's the story. That glory shines. Right. It yeah. touches and affects the whole world. Right. Yeah, men are told to not be glory bearers because that's a woman's job. Right. <laughs> and this is what we hate about man. Oh, he when we see a man trying to bear his own glory, yeah. he dresses too too much like this. His hair's too slick. We, yeah. we see him try to put all this glory in themselves. We're like, I don't like that dude. <laughs> right, right. Like we, we if we see a man that tries to bear all this glory, we're like, no. Yeah. We, we and the and, and it's not like, uh, I, it's it's that. Hey, I want I want the whole world to glorify me. Right. Yeah. Respect yeah, yeah. me. Right. But it's harder to win the respect of a single woman that knows you day in and day out that has borne your children than it is to win the respect of the entire world. Mm. And it's less valuable. The respect, the respect of the entire world is less valuable than the respect of a single woman that has been the doorway through which your children have come into the world. Mm. I mean, the, that it, it's harder, but it's more valuable. So we... So when you when you meet a man that is trying to win the respect of the whole world, I, so I we'll go on another hour yeah, and a half with this. Right? But there's, there's this thing I, that I do yeah, when yeah. I meet somebody new. You know, yeah. I just 
compliment their wife and tell them, man, you do not deserve her. Yeah. And see how they react. And then that's how I decide if I want them to be my friend or not. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. if they're like, I don't know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty, pretty awesome, dog. You right? like, yeah, she doing good. See, I don't, I don't need, I don't yeah. need you in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you got to, that glory's going to burn you right. up, bro. <laughs> but, but a man that's like, you have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea how I caught her, how I keep her around. Yeah. Right. Because, um, that that's a man that's going to be growing in wisdom because he's not holding glory for himself. Right. Mm. He's, he, he, he's a conduit through which glory can travel into the vessel that it's intended for. I don't feel like we talked about anything. Can we're going to have to do this again? Can we come? <laughs> yeah, we can do it again. Can we do it again? Yeah. I, we're going to have to do more cause we got all these books. Okay. Well, all these books really quick. Can we go through just like five <laughs> of your top? Like you have to read these on metaphysics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Eric Vogelin. I've been reading him more lately. Yeah, so Eric Vogelin, I love Eric, some Eric Vogelin. So here's the thing, though. Eric, I mentioned this to you earlier. The, in, at World War One, the doctrine of total depravity went with the conservatives. The doctrine of the optimistic progress uh, of mm. the gospel in the world went with the progressives. Eric Vogelin is a good example of a pessimistic conservative, mm. right? He, but with a keen eye for diagnosing what's going on in the world. Right? Yeah. So Science, Politics, and Gnosticism yeah, by Eric the, Vogelin. Yep. That one is uh, um, one of the more important yeah, books I think it around is. right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so if if you want, so this book, Lost in the Cosmos mm-hmm. by Walker Percy. So this book is a fake self-help book to help you. You got red notes all over oh, this yeah, joker. Yeah. To, <laughs> to help you come to understand all of the ways that you have um, that you have compromised with modernity. Mm. So it, he wrote it. It's like, it's a, it's written like a self-help book, right? So it's, it's funny, you know, but like, Oh, the bored self, this chapter 10, why the self is the only object in the cosmos, which gets bored and it walks through bored, mm. boredom and shows that. And then it asks you questions and gives you thought experiments so that you can, think through the the ways that you are an are a modern i have have given yeah. into modernity how to see your right. own thoughts yeah thought. yeah so this book is brilliant right lost in the cosmos okay i, I love that one lost in the i don't have that i'm ordering that one right now keep going i'm gonna just okay. order that on amazon right now um so, uh so th- can saul Alinsky be saved um that's <laughs> yeah. this a uh, uh, pca pastor richard bledsoe uh somewhere in Colorado, I think. And he's an evangelist. Uh, and he is, he is walking through, um, what does it look like to share the gospel, um, in a modernist context, right? So how does the gospel shatter modernist metaphysics? Right. Mm. Really, really good book. Uh, let's see. And then um, the discarded image by C.S. Lewis. Yep, is, mentioned that one is uh, really really helpful. And then um, deep comedy by Peter Lightheart. I think this one. I don't know if this one's even in print anymore uh, or not. You know I, what? I you have to go to canon and probably find yeah, it if it exists. Um, but this one walks through the metaphysics of the ancient world and um, how it is that the gospel undoes the metaphysics of the ancient world and replaces it with a whole new way of thinking about uh, metaphysics. 
All right. You got to go because I'm ordering stuff on Amazon. <laughs> it's my last one Make on you Amazon. You spend all your money. Dude, it's worth it. Thanks, man. And then uh, Paradise Restored by David Children. Got to grab those. Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. This is good, man. Yeah. Next time. Next time. Next time.